Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. We are midway, or nearly all the way, through the international break. United play... Points deducted Everton this weekend. How exciting. Man United going to jump into a game with a points deduction bounce. I know. Uh, is uh, befitting of the opposition that they're playing against. Uh, but still a few days out from that. We're still in the midst of the international break. Bruno Fernandes and Portugal going 10 out of 10. England dropping points to North Macedonia, Harry Maguire giving the ball away in his own half and nearly giving away a penalty. But uh, Rob, are you enjoying the uh, international? It's, it's the last one of the year, isn't it? Dying for it to be over. Really am. Like, it's, just, it's always that thing, is it? We always have one eye towards the next game. And like you said, they the storyline around Everton and Goodison Park and that stadium will be rocking the minute our team walk into it, won't it, after what's happened in the last few days. Um but yeah, no, I think with the international break, like you just said there about Harry Maguire, it's interesting, isn't it? Like he makes that mistake in that game. Social media is just like a s- storm burning down about how Harry Maguire is the most awful centre-back in the universe. And he's the first centre-back to ever make a mistake. And I think this is kind of where where these minutes get filled, Scott, on social media, isn't it? Is that these become like bigger stories than they should be. Um, as long as you don't make those mistakes for us, then I think we'll be okay. Yep, I'm Scott, joined by Rob Blanchett. This is the Promised Land podcast. We are looking ahead to, obviously, I think we'll look ahead to the weekend later this week on our next episode, but it is one year to the day tomorrow, as in Wednesday, the 22nd of November, since the Glazer family and those who own Manchester United announced they were looking to explore strategic Mm. alternatives we know where we are with that, or do we? I think we're on the verge, <laughs> on the verge of an announcement of uh, Sir Jim Ratcliffe taking twenty-five percent of the shares in United, mix of Class A and Class B. Mm. Uh, we don't know exactly when that announcement is going to come. I think everybody's hoping for it before the game, but suggestions that it might not might need a little bit more time. I know there's a lot of people who are thinking, God, just get it over with this kind of thing. Um, But I think the important thing for me is it does seem like we are moving in that direction where sporting control anyway, is going to end up in the hands of Sir Jim Ratcliffe, Sir Dave Brailsford and Ineos and out of the hands of Richard Arnold, who is, or he's already handed over his duties, I think, and is on the verge of leaving. United mm. confirmed that last week. There should be some changes which we'll run through uh, on today's show as well as part of the structure. But today we will talk more about how that new committee uh, or that new uh, pool of people who are going to be running and making the decisions at Man United need to be a little bit smarter than the previous regime with raising money i think that's what we're gonna that's the line that we're gonna go down today uh talking about bruno fernandez has actually done some 
public speaking about links with Saudi Arabia. Rafa Varane has been linked with Saudi Arabia and Bayern Munich. Casemiro, there is interest in him from Saudi Arabia. Jaden Sancho's obviously on the, well, excluded from first team duties currently. And that's 300 and odd grand a week just sat on the sidelines, which is uh, <laughs> probably not of, of benefit to somebody who's coming in or a group of people that are coming in and they're looking at things and how things are run and thinking that's just a massive waste of money there on the side, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be talking about that kind of thing today. Subscriber of wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes and watches on YouTube, the promise and Manchester United podcast, like the video, leave a comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell as well and hit uh, social media following buttons on X, IG and TikTok at double underscore Scott Saunders for me at underscore Rob underscore B on X on YouTube and at Promisant MU on X for the show as well. So you never miss one. Rob, I've been talking a lot. Uh, first thoughts before we get into things today. Yeah, we're almost at that stage now where we can start digging into the detail. Like we have tried to hold back on some of it, haven't we? Like we've thought that was wise <clears throat> until there's more official announcements. I don't think... I don't think anything's coming quickly, like I said in our last show, six to eight weeks. And I said that because that's just how long some of these processes take. But now we are at a stage, I think, where we're going to be thinking laterally about some of this. I don't like to use the word new ownership. I know it's only part ownership. <clears throat> but we know that the football project itself will be fundamentally changing from what we've seen in recent years under the Glazers. So the Glazers will be still be there taking their dividends or whatever they call it. Like they didn't take the last lot of dividends, Scott. That's, I think, the first bit of influence from Sir Jim Ratcliffe, probably saying, no, 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 you don't take money out of this football club while we're now trying to fix it. But there's there's interesting things to talk about around, say, Saudi Arabia, around Bruno Fernandes. We hinted two or three weeks ago that there was stuff happening behind the scenes that we were going to talk about. And guess what? We're finally going to talk about some of that today. Yeah, and how other clubs like Chelsea and Liverpool in the last six months have embraced that. I mean, there's been some criticism, obviously, because you know there's been criticism with how uh, this league has come about. Obviously, there's a hell of a lot of money which uh, the Saudi league are are throwing around, and you know we don't need to get into those reasons. But mm. the fact of the matter is. It's here to stay, isn't it, Rob? But I think it, there's there's no uh, getting around that. It is part of football. It's a new expanse into the Middle East where players like Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar, and others, some of the biggest profile players in the world, are moving to that league to help grow it mm -hmm. uh, and to grow uh, interest and in the fan base. The World Cup is going to Saudi Arabia in 2034 as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a year to the day yesterday or the year to the day today since the last World Cup started in Qatar as well. Uh, I, I know that because I went, I went out there last year <laughs> to the day yesterday, which is, uh, that's passed really fast, actually. That feels that's like yesterday. Really, really, really oh my fast. God. I feel like I remember you being there and us working. <laughs> oh yeah, God. It, was, it feels like yesterday. Yeah, it does. Um, but I'm trying to think in the sense of if you've got a new... Uh, sporting committee, which we'll talk about at the start of the show, coming in to turn things around. And you look at how Manchester United are built at the moment, and then you have a, a player like Casemiro's 31, turning 32-ish, around around that age, who's had all his, all of his success at Real Madrid. 
had a good I think he had a good season last year but obviously things have not gone that well in the last six months and they're going to look at high profile high earning players and think is that really how you succeed in modern football no you look at Real Madrid who are probably the best well the best example well Man City are the best example but Real Madrid are a great example in recent years of having pivoted a transfer strategy for the better and now they've picked up players uh, from Brazil, from South America in general, who are 18, 17, 19, 20, 21. And now that forms the core of their new team, which looks like it could dom- or be in the conversation to dominate football for the next 10, 15 years. They picked up Jude Bellingham, who United tried to sign a few years ago. But mm-hmm. <laughs> Real Madrid have managed to rinse Man United for their money for players who've seen their peak in Rafa Varane, Casemiro, and as unpopular as that might be, because I know that some of these players are really popular in the United fan base, and understandably so, given how successful they've been, really, you've got to look further forward than the next two, three years. Uh, And we'll talk about how United can start to turn that thing around and how they can turn their transfer strategy around throughout the show, but in the context of a new structure. So... I'll I'll run through that, Rob, just to start with the new structure that we could be seeing. Yep. Now, obviously, we're waiting for an official announcement about Sir Jim's uh, purchase of 25% of United. As we've talked about many times, and as I'm sure that you have all seen or heard, Sir Jim and his purchase of that stake, it's conditional on him and Ineos and Dave Brailsford taking sporting control of Man United because they've identified that that is probably the main area where United are failing. If they can turn that around first, Mm. they have a better chance of turning everything else around. So uh, I wrote a piece yesterday for 90min.com, which uh, you can find on my at double underscore Scott Saunders uh, X or Twitter link. I posted it yesterday. Uh, They've been looking at sporting directors. Uh, Paul Mitchell is obviously still the main name in the frame. It, it, to, to us, it does seem like he is going to be installed there at some point. It could be could be weeks, could be a few months yet, but or it could be instantaneous. We don't know, but it, it seems like he's waiting in the wings. And Jean-Claude Blanc as well is going to likely come in as the next CEO, given Richard Arnold left uh, last week, or was it, it was announced that he was leaving last week. Patrick Stewart has stepped into that interim role as CEO. He's been there for how long now? Nearly 17 years since mm-hmm. 2006 as general counsel and other roles he's he's held there. But Jean-Claude Blanc is an interesting one. And I think we, we, we should do a show, Rob, at some point on Jean-Claude Blanc and how uh, important he could be to this process of revolutionizing how Man United works. So... Um, First, first off, what do you think of the? How important do you think these structural changes are to turning things around? Well, they're fundamental, a hundred percent. Like I think, again, you talk about Jean Claude Blanc, you talk about Paul Mitchell. These are names that the Glazers can't and wouldn't get. You know, this is the kind of standard that the big institutions in football want, but Manchester United have been looking elsewhere across the vista at other stuff. You know, we talk about players today as well, shirt sellers, commercial offers. You need to have a balance to be able to do everything. That's the truth in football. 
So Blanc is really interesting. Mitchell's really interesting. And as you just said there, you know, how important is it? This is really what Ratcliffe brings to the table, what Ineos brings to the table with strategy and some kind of know-how around structure because Man United suffer so badly in that part of the park, Scott, about upstairs, about how you have a direction. This is why we talked about Richard Arnold in a way that we have and, and John Merton. We said, it doesn't matter what their best intentions are. We're not saying they're bad people but they haven't done their jobs correctly or what you would say to the, the required standards. So I think that that we always knew with Ineos that this was the route that they wanted to take. We knew it was different, say, to the Qatari route of how Qatar wanted to take full control of the club and direct it in a certain way. Um, Ineos have done it in a different way, but they're doing it in a way that they feel that they can take the power away from the Glazers and take the power from the football club into their realm and to be able to do more for themselves. Like, let's be honest. I called this a passion project for, for Jim Ratcliffe in the past. I still think it's that. He's, he's an ageing guy who's got billions of pounds. I think his legacy, he thinks if he gets Man United right on a sporting side and starts winning stuff, what makes Man United relevant again? What a legacy to leave on this on this planet as you exit one day is that you're the guy that saved Man United in football terms. Um, obviously, a lot of detail to go through in the next few weeks and months to be able to find out how that's going to happen. But as you said, I think I think the first instances are are positive, and I think that's all we can expect. Yeah. So we mentioned Dave Brailsford already. So Dave Brailsford, <coughs> who has extensive history of uh, in British cycling and this kind of thing, had his own controversies to come with it as well. Obviously, and that, that there's no no question in that. Um, but Sir Jim does still believe in him. Uh, as we believe, I think he's doing an or in process of or will be doing an audit on processes at United, and God knows what's going to turn up within that. It's already happening. Uh, <laughs> it is already happening. I think. I, I, yeah, I think it's already happening. Um, but Jean Claude Blanc, interesting one. Like I say, I think we should do a show, Rob. When we, I think we should uh, prepare this a little more. But as part of uh, the piece I wrote yesterday for Night Him In, I sent out a few questions, asked a few things, uh, a few different people, did my digging, this kind of thing. Oh. And what I think United are getting here is... It, I don't know whether some people might consider him a relatively unknown quantity, given he's never worked in England. Uh, but this is... No, don't get me wrong. This is, a, this is a guy who has a track record of seriously improving uh, massive football clubs. Now... Um, Worked at Juventus after they were relegated in 2006 due to Calciopoli scandal, which is, I'm sure everybody knows what that what that is now. Juventus were relegated from Serie A after being one of the most successful, and they still are, one of the most successful clubs in Italy or the most successful club in Italy. Came in, Gigi Buffon was in there, Alessandro Del Piero was in that team, and he came in and had to turn things around renegotiated contracts, this kind of mm. thing, because Juventus were obviously dealing with being out of Europe, being in Serie B, this this kind of thing. And you can imagine how much chaos that caused within that football club at that time. But, you know, I think they've, he was part of the team that made a big pitch to Gigi Buffon to, hey, stay, we'll make a Champions League final. You can be the the symbol of this team moving forward. Just stick with us, stick with us. And he did. And obviously he became, he already was at that time, but became a Juventus legend. And I saw him last night on the touchline as Italy qualified uh, for Euro 2024 against Ukraine. Uh, but 
just digging into what he's been doing in his career so far, he took Juventus, who were in the most difficult period in their history, and turned them around into returning as the powerhouse in Italian football. He helped oversee the financing for them to move to a new stadium. We're, we're talking about like how United are, I think, Rob, they're a failing institution, aren't they? So Definitely. this parallels the stadium. I don't think United will move into a new stadium. It does seem like, but obviously they, we know that they need to do upgrades uh, with the stadium, this kind of thing, and make it modern, this kind of thing. I've already mentioned renegotiating contracts, this kind of thing. Uh, He left Juventus. It kind of went, it did go south in the end. I think the Agnelli family uh, ended up taking control back of him, but he did his job, moved to PSG. And I have a a couple of mates who who cover PSG in France. And make no mistake about it, he was called the best best executive PSG have, have had under their Qatari ownership. Yeah. Like, that important now he's been described as a constant a stabilizer um and this is uh from a former head of uh corporate communications uh from psg he he knew that psg was a club where we always were always going to look for lice in the head so it like it's like it doesn't really translate to english that well but you can kind of get the gist of it he was looking for issues to kind of fix definitely pick yeah. them out and this kind of thing united need that uh God, Even yes. difficult times, he never got angry, <laughs> never never in conflict or in stress. Uh, and basically, I, I, from the digging that I've done, it doesn't seem like anybody really has a bad word to say about him. But he's the kind of presence, I think, that is really required at United. And when you think about PSG as they are nowadays, everybody looks at their sporting project and think, oh, they've just spent a hell of a lot of money and ended up failing. He didn't really have much to do with the transfers and the sporting side of the project, but what he did have a real fingerprint on and a real uh, mark on is turning PSG into one of the biggest, if not the biggest football slash lifestyle brands mm. in the world. Now their kit and their apparel, if, if that's the right word, goes beyond football. It really does. And when you talk about Man United and how commercially obsessed they are, so you see what I mean now? He's got he's ticked the box of turning around a sporting institution that was failing in Juventus, overseeing a move to a new stadium in Juventus, and turning PSG from an also-ran with a lot of money to one of the most recognizable football clubs in the world in terms of brand. So in a, in a mix of everything, it seems like He's perfect for Man United. I don't want to get pe- people too excited, but it just does seem like this is a smart appointment. Sorry, Rob, go on. Look, totally, I'm, I'm with you all the way there. I think when you look at PSG and what he did there and you look at how... <laughs> like, like you talk about what the, the, the Qatari objective was in PSG, and of course it's to, to win football matches, to, to win trophies. It was also, in, in terms of image, how do you build that? How do you make a football club? Like PSG, you literally had... Kind of no background in the commercial side of it, you know. They're, they're a club from from Liga who's won they won everything the last few years, but historically do not have the same kind of branding values of a say Man United or Juventus or any of the big clubs. And he took PSG and he took them to that next level in terms of how they make their brand match their aspirations. Now, what we find in Man United, Scott, that today here I am in Manchester United gear. I said before the show. 
feel like I'm, I don't know, if I've got Team Ineos on the back of my shirt, something I haven't, I promise you. But here I am in, in, in a Manchester United top. And this badge has commercial value. And what you need is a CEO or someone in, in, the, in the boardroom that understands that, but doesn't make it the, the fundamentals of how you try and win games. Like you need the balance. I think that's what Blanc brings, is that he brings that balance. He understands the industry really well. And it's maybe the difference between saying Edward Wood stroke Richard Arnold, who become like your directors of football, Scott, in the boardroom whilst doing all the sums. It's not a great look. It doesn't work. Man United are probably the only club in Europe that have done it like that in recent years. Everyone has done it like Blanc does it. You know, so Blanc's gone to Ineos and has been there now for a little while. And and they've been looking for this project for him. Like they've been looking for someone, a project that fits him, where he, he can take his expertise in these parts of the, of the business and move it forward. You just uh, said something really important there about Blanc is that he doesn't do this with any ego. You know, he just looks at systems, process. I want to get from A to B and eventually to Z. And that's not personal. It's not about digging people out. It's not about emotion. It's about stoicism. It's about business practice. And that's how good football clubs do it. So United needs someone like that to kind of almost be injected into their own DNA, Scott, to go into this kind of new new level. Because this is what the Glazers never got. The Glazers never understood this. The Glazers just wanted people in the top tier of Man United doing their bidding, which was, let us take our dividends. Yeah, we'll buy some players. Oh, we'll put some more debt on the club. Oh, well, we have to rebuild Old Trafford. Oh, we'll talk about that next year. Oh, oh, we've got players on a wage bill that we need to get rid of. Oh, well, we'll do that next transfer window. All this deferring. What Ineos needs to do from day one is to have structure. And I think this is why that structure needs to change. It starts with Blanc. It starts with a director of football. You just think all of how we've just talked about Blanc there and the, the extensive history he has of working at football clubs like Juventus mm. and PSG, two, the two the, the biggest club in Italy and the biggest club in France, uh, undoubtedly. Yeah. Now, he would be coming in. Obviously, this needs to be officially announced and that kind of thing, and uh, you know things can happen, but it, it does seem like he is going to be the, the person to come in and start doing the similar things to what he's done at previous clubs at United. Um, you go from Edward Wood and Richard Arnold, who were Bristol Uni grads, who were accountants at PwC, yeah. PricewaterhouseCoopers. What, where have they got their football experience before taking the Man United job? So automatically, even if Blanc is fails, which I, you know, I'm, I'm quite optimistic that things will turn around, but you're already looking at somebody who's got more experience than Edward Wood and Richard Arnold in doing this job in a football sense than, than ever. You know, um, David Gill, obviously, he left a massive, massive hole yeah. at United when Ferguson and, and David Gill left. And you could argue that Gill and Ferguson covered over the cracks of the Glazer ownership. Totally. Oh, they, they did, didn't they? For, for yeah. eight, eight, seven, eight years... United kept winning titles and it got to a point where I think they probably stepped away at the right time uh, for their own personal uh, value and that, that kind of thing. But I don't think people appreciate just how important a, a CEO with know-how is to, to, to a football operation. 
Yeah. To football operations and to any business in general is that it, it, all the moving parts that move downhill for you to be successful in any industry starts at the very top. It starts with vision, it starts with know-how, and it starts with leadership. And we know that Man United, this is what you lost with Fergie, this is what you lost with David Gill, was that whole leadership side. But you know what, Scott, on a daily basis, be able to make decisions, but also have a long-term vision of going, right, this season the objective is this. Next season the objective is going to be that. Man United haven't done that forever. You know, the Glazers don't look at the the strategy around Manchester United like that. They look at it and go, well, we need a new kit deal. So let's negotiate that for a year. And, oh, look, we've lost some games. All right, so we need another player. Oh, this position hasn't worked. Okay, we need another player there. Oh, right, now we've got too many players. We should sell a few players. And it never, ever really gets stuff done, Scott. And that reflects in your football results. It really, really does. So... I think this is where where United have needed to go for a really long time and why I was keen on it. It's because you need institutional change at Manchester United from the very, very top. And it starts really with the football project. It starts there. Because if you start making those decisions better, Scott, and you get somewhere, things can change pretty quickly. Within a year or two, you're looking serious again. People look at you differently and go, oh, this Man United project's different. It's not these Glazer guys that have, been a, a bit of a mess for for over 10 years it's now a kind of different institution I think Blanc you know I was gonna I was trying to grab a little black book but I don't have any anymore because it's everything is digital isn't it and uh that little black book that he's got of contacts of how he's managed his other clubs it's vast he knows everyone and everyone knows him so he can get things done that's absolutely something that Richard Arnold couldn't do that's something that Edward would try to do Ed wanted to be this big guy on a big stage I'm Florentino Perez of the Northwest, and and it just kind of looks stupid, being tr- completely honest. And when you get to the end of it, he had to obviously go. So this is a good opportunity now for United to press that reset button because they've needed this reset in the boardroom for so so long. Obviously, uh, let's say Blanc does come in and is announced as uh, the club's new CEO, which is what we expect, really, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of when uh, that is. Still, anybody's guess, but it, it'll be at some point soon-ish. Uh, I think he's already doing the job, Scott. I think that they're not all... surprised. He's already part of Ineos's portfolio. He manages their sporting portfolio already, so he's probably... The puppet masters are there. Probably <laughs> in there already uh, yeah. making his plans, this kind of thing, even though he hasn't been officially announced yet. Now, I'm not saying there that Blanc is going to be necessarily involved in the sporting side of things in terms of which players United sign because that's going to go to a sporting director. Now, John Murta, there's been some suggestions that he expects to stay on as mm. the, during the transition phase, which could well happen, but they want Paul Mitchell. Like they, they, they do. There's been other names which have been uh, entered into the mix as well. Andrea Berta from Atletico Madrid, Lee Congerton, uh, Paolo Maldini, you know, Paolo Maldini did a good good job at Milan. What link does he have to United? I don't know. But, you know, Paul Mitchell seems like the natural fit. I think he's the one that uh, Ratcliffe has identified for quite a long time. He left Monaco a number of months ago. Now he's waiting uh, to pick up a job. And like it, it seems to me that this could go hand in hand. Now, Mitchell could be staggered. It could be it could be an appointment that comes later. Obviously, Murta's, Murta's departure has not been announced yet. Maybe he, it, well, in likelihood, he does depart. 
but I'm not saying he could be transitioned into another role, which just isn't uh, necessarily the one that he's currently in. Uh, But Paul Mitchell. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Has a past and a history of working with clubs who are building to become or enter into that upper echelon. So you think of Tottenham, he's worked at Tottenham. He was the man who signed Son. Mm-hmm. And he's had some stinkers, don't get me wrong. Clinton and G, this this kind of thing, he's had some stinkers. But uh, Son was one that I think I read an interview with him uh, within the last few months where he said he got a lot of stick mm. when Son joined Tottenham because he wasn't providing everything that we know he can provide nowadays, but he had conviction in his pick. He, you know, he did his job. Uh, even when it was getting criticized, he knew that he'd still made the right decision. And it turns out in the right, in the long term, he was right. Mm-hmm. He is the, he worked at MK Dons when Delhi was breaking through mm-hmm. and he's worked at Southampton. Toby, remember they signed Toby Alderweireld, all these kinds of players like yeah. Southampton, just a, a Good, good long time ago now, but there was a time where Southampton had some of the most promising young players in in the Premier League, and that was coincides with Mitchell's time there. He's moved from Tottenham to uh, the Red Bull Group. He's worked at Leipzig, where they've signed a bunch of players who are now household names in world football, you know. Mm-hmm. And then Monaco as well was his last job, and Brazilian right back Vanderson is a, a person that he's overseen the signing of mm-hmm. now getting linked with a move to United. There is some interest there considered to be one of the next players who could make a move up to a big club. I think Real Madrid have been uh, shown some interest in him as well. So uh, Paul Mitchell, like I say, he's not had a perfect, a perfect track record, but it does seem like he's primed for a step up. And I think if you look at um, performance obsessed people like Dave Brailsford, marginal gains is something I'm sure you'll hear a lot of. The BBC have done a piece on marginal gains and Dave Brailsford uh, this morning, Tuesday. And uh, Ratcliffe is there as well, obviously, and is overseeing this entire thing. And then you've got potentially Blanc, who's got this extensive history of improving football clubs. And then Paul Mitchell, who is, I think he's only 42, 43 years old. So he's not like, you know, he's, he's got some time left. He's waiting for a big job. He's waiting for a big opportunity and this could be it. So when you bring all this together, Rob, and let's get into the actual heart of what the show is. We've been going half an hour already, but we were going to do, how does this sport in operation turn United around? Because I mentioned in Blanc that he's had a history of renegotiating contracts when Juventus needed to do it. I think me and you look at United's contract structure Mm. as it stands and think that is a massive red flag. It's a massive problem. It's been a massive problem for a number of years. You've got... Casemiro, 350-odd. Bruno, 250-odd. Marcus Rashford, 300k. Jaden Sancho, 300... You know, lots of players in there. Rafa Varane as well. Lots of players in there who are earning more money than most players in the world, really, for a team that yo-yos between qualifying for the Champions League one year and not qualifying for the Champions League and finishing seventh another year. Like, that is not 
I don't care if United, you're United and you're generating as much revenue as they do. For a position where United are, that is not sustainable business, is it? Not at all. And uh, Man United have got more money on the naughty step, Scott, than that, than some teams having their full teams who are, are winning more trophies than you. So, like, that's a problem. You know, you have to address that from day one. And that is, again, with this process of taking over this part of the football club, is that you come in and these things are, like, crystal clear. These, these are not like, oh, maybe decisions, yes, no, I I'm not quite sure. This is like this is what the bright suitcase that you open in Pulp Fiction and it blares in your eyes. There are obvious things at Man United that are just really, really bad. It starts with the wage structure. Um, you know, we talked today about you said about some of the names like Bruno, like Varane, like Casemiro and Marcus Rashford now with his new contract. All these players that you've got at the football club who are your kind of marquee players but not delivering you marquee results or not marquee expectations. Jaden Sancho, £350 a week to sit on the naughty step is not acceptable. You have to find better ways. He did just say £350 a week, which is which would be a, a bargain. £350,000 a week. <laughs> £350 a week, that's fine. Go and collect the balls for that in Carrington. It's kind of what he's doing anyway at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, so uh, that would be a more applicable wage. But you can't manage your business like that. Man United are a unique club who seem to manage it that badly. You know, that doesn't really happen at other football clubs. You don't want players, Scott. You've got to get rid of them. So I think that this is where where Ineos will come in. I, I say Ineos as the broad umbrella because I think that's that's important at this stage because we don't know specifics with some of that stuff. What we do know is that we talk about Paul Mitchell is that Paul Mitchell could get a job with Ineos tomorrow and start the process and you don't then have to really be aggressive at United. You don't have to say to John Murto, goodbye. You know, you can have a transition of a year when everyone works together and you make the decisions quietly without the fuss, because Man United is a club full of fuss, isn't it? Constantly in the front pages and the back pages. And I think Ineos will want to stay away from that. Radcliffe himself doesn't like publicity. He'd rather sit in the background. He's a conservative. He just wants things to move and get to where he wants them to be. So that's a long process. But I think the first thing you've got to do, get that wage structure under control, because United, I think, are out of control. I really do. I think you've, you've thrown money at problems. And generally in football, when you throw money at it, the problems get worse. And more expensive, obviously. And, now, worse, and, more, and more. And more and expensive. Worse. And more terrible. And, and and it just carries on. It's a horrible cycle. Yeah, and United have been in that cycle for a long, long time now. Now, we did want to talk about how United go and start turning things around. Now, I know that the first thing everyone will think of is sign players who are like of the right um, profile and they're young. We made the Real Madrid comparison earlier mm. on in the show about how they picked out Chuamani, Rodrigo, Vinicius, you know, all of these players, uh, Valverde out of, you know, not nowhere, but like they, they mm. picked these players. Endrick is the next one, just been called up for the Brazilian national team. <laughs> he'll, arrive, he'll arrive at Real Madrid. Uh, in the next few months, <clears throat> and I'm sure become a household name. Real Madrid have pivoted their transfer strategy. What they've done, they've sold Casemiro, and I know that people will say, "Oh, well, they didn't use this directly to invest in new players," but they've identified that it's probably the right decision to sell aging players at the top of the of the peak of their value mm. to other clubs and reinvest in young players who they can move forward with for the next 10, 15 years who are of the required talent level. Now, United obviously need to bring in 
different profiles of players. They need to restructure contracts. They need to offer Liverpool offer incentivized incentivized contracts, and that means that the players have something. It always seems like they have something to play for. And a, a big criticism we have of United is that oh, they, they they earn a lot of money. It doesn't really make a difference to them anyway, whether United succeed or not. But just folding everything together from what we talked about today, we'll we'll talk about the profile of players that United should sign in the next few years, but. We mentioned the Saudi Arabia transfer market and the, mm. the money coming in from Saudi and how Chelsea and how Liverpool have benefited it from it. Liverpool sold Fabinho last year and were able to fund transfers for... They, they remodeled their midfield. They sent four midfielders last summer. I know that Endo is like uh, more of a short-term fix, but you think of Sobersly and, and other players who are in that area... And now that it seems like they're on the verge of fixing themselves, they're already uh, hanging with City and Arsenal, and they have lent in to the cash that's coming in. And I think you're looking at a new transfer committee, and they're thinking, Where, "Where's the easy wins that we can we can take here in order to help supercharge the moves that we're trying to make?" You know, there's it. Let, let's don't get it wrong. There's interest in some really high-profile players at yeah. United from the Saudi league. Now we mentioned Casemiro and Rafa Varane, uh, Jaden Sancho has interest. And I, I maybe, I don't think Sancho and his move will be there. It's probably not the right stage of his career, but you think of Varane and Casemiro, maybe not in January, but the interest is still there just because people are saying, Oh, he's not going to leave in January. Don't believe anything. Doesn't mean that there's no interest in making mm. these moves happen from the teams who are trying to buy them. Bruno Fernandes is the other one. Now we, Bruno, over the international break, uh, was asked about interest from Saudi Arabia because it has gone round a little bit and people will say again, oh, well, it's never going to happen, is it? It's never going to happen, never going to happen. I mean, here's his quote. Being coveted is always good, regardless of the league and the club, but my focus is on the national team and Man United. I'm happy where I am. In the national team, we're in a good moment. At United, we didn't start the way we wanted, but I don't think about the long term. I don't look much at market rumours. They're things I've never wanted to see. Until the moment something concrete comes to me, I don't care what I see. It's very easy for rumors to spread in the press. I prefer to be focused on my goals. Now, what do you make of that? Well, that's as clear as mud, isn't it, really? Because we've known what's been going on in the background for a while. It's, it's okay to dress it up as rumors. Like I think he's right on on one aspect there about not really being overly concerned about those things. But I think, again, you can read into some of that wording, Scott, because we know that there's been contact there and we know that, that the Saudis like Bruno and want Bruno. We know that Manchester United have a, a brand new project that they're about to execute and would like to try and get some rid, rid of some of the wages off the bill. And and I just don't like the first line as a Manchester United captain of saying, oh, it's nice to be coveted by other leagues. Like, what? The answer there is, I'm not talking about this because it's rubbish. I'm Man United captain, let's get on, let's move on. So I know lots of footballers do that now. I think it's the old Ronaldo way of where you would say to a oppressor, you know, only God knows. And that was just you keeping your options open. And I think there, when you look at what Bruno's saying, Bruno absolutely fundamentally knows that, that Saudis want him and that, that that this is a possibility. And he he will need to decide what he wants to do with his own career and whether whether he he is part of this new brand new vision at Manchester United, because I think the truth is, Scott, is that the highest earners at Manchester United, along with the Richard Arnolds and everyone else that we've spoken about, they've all kind of failed. 
let's be honest, you know, there's these players have got countless managers sacked. And, you know, you won't mention the word high performance there. And I think that that is a really valid way of looking at this is that you might have players who are there to give you high performance. But if they don't give it to you consistently, guess what that is, Scott? That's low performance. So the whole point here is that how, how do Man United become a more consistent entity by moving players out? Bruno Fernandes is on that list. I know a lot of people won't want to hear that. And people will say, oh, Rob, you hate Bruno. You don't like Bruno. You criticise Bruno. But I do think that, that this manager wants more from a number 10. And that means that you will question about Bruno Fernandes. And the fact that he got asked that, that question, Scott, in the presser and answered it in the way he did. Again, he could expel all those rumours like, like that. He could just go, no, I'm not. He could say out loud, I'm not going to Saudi Arabia. Just say that. I'm staying at Man United instead. But he kind of knows that there might be a really dirty, great big offer on the table for him. Not just come January, but maybe even come in the summer. And I think January, Scott, there will be some shock moves towards Saudi because the Saudis have got the money to execute those things. I mean, you, you talk January there. I mean, I'm more in the camp of... Well, maybe we could see one surprise exit in January, but like, I don't really expect anything to happen until... I think the summer is where you kind of see this supercharged, really. I think that that's yeah. where things will start to fundamentally change. And when we talk about, we've mentioned there, Rafa Varane, Casemiro, Jaden Sancho. Ooh, I'll leave Sancho out of this box because it's a different, a different matter. But Casemiro, Rafa Varane, Bruno Fernandes, all around 29, 30, 31, 32 mm. years old at the peak of their careers. Like, United have... There's less than five examples over the last 10 years or so of United taking a player, improving them, and selling them for a profit. In Casemiro's case, you're not going to do that. In Varane's case, you're not going to do that. But this is probably going to be quite unpopular. But Bruno Fernandes is the one. He, he really is the one. And if you're looking at um, how United are on the line of FFP, yeah. And how United are, I'm sure that um, the, the the owners or the, the the new committee can inject some money to loosen the United's position in that sense and allow them a little bit of wiggle room. But United have been notoriously crap at selling players, absolutely terrible at selling players. And I think if you're looking to get to a point of high performance and looking to turn things around, profiles of players and marketability well, obviously that's that's going to play a, play an important role but if you put success on the pitch first everything else comes with it marketability because united are just a massive club anyway people will soon switch their uh, ideologies and switch their fa favorites to the new kids who are on the block if they if like they that. go and like that honestly yeah. they, they yeah. will and just because bruno fernandez is the most high profile or one of the most high profile players that united currently have doesn't mean that he's beyond sale might be currently or might might be as uh, in the current regime but if you're looking at how people will look at how united are made up when they're when they're coming into the club based on their past and how they want to make this club successful again they're gonna have to make some unpopular decisions and don't be surprised if they do make unpopular decisions and some of the players that you like are sold i'm just saying that that's what i'm saying I'm with you. And I think that this is when we talk about root and branch assessments is that when we talk about leadership being maybe right at the very, very top of the problems at Man United. Yes, we do mean the boardroom. Yes, we do mean the whole football institution. 
I actually think Eric Ten Hag isn't a problem in that sphere. But I'm sure Eric Ten Hag has his opinions about his squad and about who maybe are the problems. You know, like Jaden Sancho, I think is a nice, easy target because of the disciplinary issues and what's happened with him and he was a major signing. But I think you don't really have to dig below the surface, Scott, to look at Bruno, to look at Casemiro, to look at Varane and understand that that isn't working. That function there, what you need from experienced leaders is not really translating into performances. And I think that's a big problem for Ten Hag. Ten Hag will be looking at that and going, right, I need to refresh this squad in a completely new way. I said you off camera, Scott, as an example about how you do these things, is about Kevin De Bruyne at Man City. I'll put my neck on the block about this. Kevin De Bruyne is a fantastic midfielder and has been a legend at Man City. I'm sure he might get his own statue at the Etihad one day. You know, an incredible signing. But He's becoming less and less use for Pep Guardiola as time goes forward because of injuries, because of age and because of another, you know, things that are on the plate there. And what will City do, Scott? They will move him out, pat him on the back, take that wage back and give it to someone else and they'll carry on winning. And when you look at Man United, that's what doesn't happen is that we talk about tactics and strategy and all of that stuff all the time. Well, sometimes the only way to change that is by getting rid of some players and bringing in some new talent. So Bruno Fernandes is absolutely on the table to be dealt because of his age, because he is in a, in a really kind of key position at Man United, both as a leader and as a footballer. Yeah, his stats are great, Scott. People tell me all the time, best stats in Europe for this, that or the other. Go watch the game, stand on the touchline and watch it and see what Man United are not good at passing the football, you know, like those kind of fundamentals. So I think, again, Ineos will come in. They won't blame Bruno Fernandes, Scott. But they'll look at stuff and they'll go, well, hang on, maybe we do need a different kind of captain. Maybe we do need different kind of creativity. Casemiro's on a massive wage but can't run anymore. Maybe we need to cut him out quickly. I think Casemiro might be the January exit. I really do. I don't think, again, I'll put this out there. Not sure Casemiro will play for Man United ever again. I'm really, I'm feeling that at the moment. That's the vibe. He might come back and, and then be available, but I wouldn't be surprised if January comes round and he leaves very quietly and goes to Saudi. And I think we're seeing with Rafa Varane in real time, aren't we? That this is this illustrious footballer. You bought this defender to shore up your defence and he's now third choice behind Lindelof and Maguire in the pecking order. There's something not right there, is there? That's not that's not how you envisage this, is it? So, you know, you need these players to play and to help you. So, yeah, the Saudi route is there, Scott. We're going to be talking about it a whole lot more. And, and Bruno Fernandes is there to be dealt. I really believe that. And I think he knows that. And I think everyone in the community knows that, that that is on the table. Yeah, I think this is just... I don't know, we're not saying here by any means um, that this is definitely going to happen. But... It's worth having the conversation because yeah. if there's any right, th- these people who are coming in, as we as, as I've mentioned uh, a number of times, are looking to turn around the sporting project at Man United, and with that, they need to generate money from somewhere, and there is an easy way mm. to go about doing that, and it's getting better at or capitalizing on what United have not been capitalizing on for the last ten years plus. The last big player that they sold, like. Dan James aside, Rob, <laughs> you know, because they bought Dan James and then they made a profit on him. Uh, there's some other players as well, probably marginal. The last time they did that right was selling Ronaldo. Yeah. That's a really, and that was in really 2009. 2009. Oh. Now, I know that people will say, United aren't a selling club. We should never be a selling club. But you want your players to 
elevate their status to a point where their market value should be something that you consider cashing in on to keep reinvesting and to keep becoming. Like, look at Man City. They they do it. They don't. They don't really. They just sold Cole Palmer's at Chelsea. They don't care, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not saying that Cole Palmer's anywhere near. Just because I've mentioned Cole Palmer and Ronaldo within about a minute of each other, it doesn't mean that I'm comparing them at all. But Man City have built an academy, and now they use and Chelsea as well built an academy which are among the best in the world, and they use that as a way of generating revenue, which they can then reinvest in their team, and they can pick out transfer targets like Doku for Palmer is or Doku for Mares was just an easy decision to make. And they never really sell their biggest, biggest names. But Rob mentioned the De Bruyne thing. Maybe he's given the rest of his career, but look at the injury problems he's having. Like if, if you're a successful and cutthroat and you know if if you're that kind of business, you will look at that. And you'll think, right, it might be the right time to say a nice say a nice goodbye. And there's been other players in the in the recent Ryan Mahrez has gone to Saudi Arabia, for example, as well. When everybody thought, wow, Mahrez is amazing. And then what is City doing selling him? And they did. And you might argue that they're weaker, but in the long term they'll be just as fine. They'll be fine. It's much better to sell plays with a cuddle and a hug, Scott, and just to kind of get on to the next bit of your project than to make a song and dance about it. Just to refer it back to Bruno Fernandes there, is that does Bruno Fernandes now at this stage of his career really believe that he's going to be the the piece in the jigsaw that takes Manchester United to the league title? I don't think Bruno Fernandes believes that for one second. I don't think Bruno looks at Man United's sporting project and goes, well, this is where I'm going with this, so I'm going to stick it out. I don't believe that at all. I think he, he understands maybe the wider dynamics of it. But it, it, it's it, like change is coming, and a lot of change isn't always popular, you know? And sometimes you have to really make the hard decisions that people people will criticise you for. Like you just mentioned Paul Mitchell before about you know, having some stinkers. That happens in football. You sometimes make some bad decisions, but the most important thing is to go forward. You mentioned Cole Palmer there. Say Cole Palmer becomes an amazing player for Chelsea. People will go, that was terrible, Man City, to sell him. They should have kept him, shouldn't they? Because he's now a really, really good footballer and starts every game for England. No, it it doesn't doesn't fit what you wanted at that time. So you moved him on, you made some money and you went and got Doku. That is football. That's the best way to do it. United always used to do that under Fergie and Gill, is that, there were so many times, I remember the summer when he sold Hughes, Ince and Konchelskis, yeah, and the world nearly melted down because people yeah. didn't understand it. And people went, well, hang on, these are three players that, these players make you win, they make you tick. What's happened here? You know, you've got the governor there in midfield. What's happened? Mark Hughes is a legend. Why, why is this happening? And Fergie just went, because this is what I do. I know what I'm doing. So, sorry, off they go. And I bring in some... Might bring in my kids and I make it balanced again. That's what good football projects do. That's where Man United need to go. You know, if you want to commit to the Manus of the world, Scott, you're going to have to start playing them. You're going to have to start giving them minutes as they get older. And that means creating space in your squad. And it is your top wage earners that go as a result, not really the bottom end. It will be those guys that you kind of maybe sell more shirts than others that I think Jim Ratcliffe will look at and go, well, you are not a high performer. You're somewhere in the middle and you're not worth that 300, 350 grand a week. So we need to take that wage back. We need to move you out. We can purchase someone else for a cheaper wage. Just end it on this, Scott. Ralph Raniak said it. Go buy players on their first contracts, big contracts, not their second or the third, because that's important for motivation. 
Bruno Fernandes, when he was on his first contract at Man United, guess what, Scott? Brilliant. First year or two, ultra amazing, incredible transformative effect on Solskjaer's team. Now he's on a bigger wage. Yeah, the stats are still there, but I don't see the kind of core influence on winning coming from the captain. So I think he's he's definitely be a target for this this new regime to be able to make changes. If this sporting project was succeeding at this mm. point, it, A, it wouldn't be being ripped up, and no. B, United would be competing for titles. None of this would be happening. So, the Glazers wouldn't be selling a penny, you know, would yeah, they? Exactly. So I think the point of this pod was to... Just maybe, I, I don't know if, whether this will be that popular. Maybe it won't be, but like, you know, we're, we're talking about how uh, the Jim Ratcliffe, Dave uh, Brailsford, Jean-Claude Blanc, Paul Mitchell, maybe, uh, will mm. look to or could look to turn this around. So don't, don't be surprised if you do see these links repeating uh, with Saudi Arabia specifically. Yeah. Like, just because you think that, oh, that player wouldn't want to go there. Ever, anybody ever think that Neymar would go there or Ronaldo would go there? This this kind of thing, especially in the the amount of time that you know it, it's happened in. Uh, it, it needs to be. It's a part of football now. It needs to be embraced by anybody who's looking to run a successful fo- football club. For me, mm-hmm. and just because it's conjecture currently doesn't mean that the interest isn't there. No. Doesn't mean the interest isn't there. And, and the interest is there, Scott, and you said it earlier on when we're talking about Everton obviously moving forward, is that with FFP and, and, and Premier League ruling, Manchester United do not want to become one of those clubs tap dancing in that arena. Is that it, it, you can sell they players, are, Rob. but they're already there. Exactly. You, you can sell players and people can talk about what you get back for them. But the most important thing is your bottom line, and that is wages. So if you can clean your wages up, Suddenly, you're not in that conversation anymore about FFP. You can move very quickly away from that. I think this is why the Glazers have made these financial decisions about giving football control away for money, because it's a commodity. They've kind of sold the football operation and kept their name above the door, haven't they? But they they know they need to solve this issue very, very quickly because they can't really saddle more debt onto the club. That would, again, affect FFP uh, down the line. And if someone like Radcliffe comes in, injects x amount of hundreds of millions that solves that very very quickly and it means that the glazers can have a hands-off approach i think they'd love that i think they would love not to have to make these decisions that they've made very badly over many many years but yes scott some of the playing squad i think in the next 12 months let's put it like that 12 months might not be at manchester united anymore and it might be some of the more popular ones don't be surprised all we're saying uh subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on youtube the promise and the man united podcast like the video subscribe leave a comment and hit the notification bell as well on youtube and uh, follow us on social media at double underscore scott saunders at underscore rob underscore b and at promise and mu for the show we'll be back later this week uh to look ahead to everton versus man united as uh football starts to happen again on the pitch Fingers crossed we do get some kind of announcement, but it's a year to the day on Wednesday uh, since this whole process started. They, there's been suggestions they want to announce it before Thanksgiving, which is on Thursday, I think. So it would align quite nicely. Maybe we'll try and jump on in between if something does happen, but it depends on schedules, this kind of thing. But Rob, uh, thanks for today. I've been Scott. This has been the Promised Land podcast. Uh, get your comments in. Get in touch with us on social media. Even if you don't like what we're saying, uh, challenge us. Feel free. And uh, yeah, 
please get involved. Uh, until next time, this has been the Promised Land podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for watching. See you soon.